Welcome to the Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Now, here's your host, Jacqueline James Friedman. Hello and welcome to Path to a Better Future. I am Jacqueline James Friedman and today's topic on Talk Zone Radio is on drug addiction. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open. Please call 888-463-6748 or 888-GO-FOR-IT. We are taking your calls on Talk Zone right now. My guest today is Melissa from California. She will be disclosing how her partner's addiction caused chaos for her and her family unit. Melissa will be reporting in detail how she transitioned from a smart, intelligent human being to an angry, bitter, and disillusioned woman who spiraled out of control. Her fight to regain control of herself and the steps she took to walk the path to a better future is truly inspiring. Melissa, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you so much for giving up your time to share your story with me and others today. Um, I am truly grateful. I think what we need to do first is, is just define drug addiction. Okay, and then I'm going to go into your story. So the definition of drug addiction is a dependence on an illegal drug or a medication. When you're addicted, you may not be able to control your drug use, and you may continue using the drug despite the harm it causes. So, Melissa, would you say the definition just described is a problem your partner is experiencing or has experienced? Definitely. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. I want you to describe your initial meeting, attraction with your partner, and how you became involved? Well, I met him 10 plus years ago. We worked together and we stayed friends over the years. And when we started a romantic relationship, I was aware of his previous drug addiction and how he was on the path to recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just attracted by his honesty and by, you know, the playfulness that, you know, had always been there. And uh, the fact that we had similar goals as far as, you know, wanting to be a family unit and we both had, you know, two children or, well, we had one each, two together. And um, I was just, you know, kind of taken in by, you know, who he was in general. Okay. So he was actually in recovery when you started having a romantic relationship? No, he was out of recovery by the time we started having a romantic relationship. I was um, his friend through his recovery. I see. Okay. Okay. Now, when did he start using drugs? At what point in that relationship, um, the romantic relationship, did he start using drugs again? You know, that's the thing. You know, because I was pregnant, I wasn't paying attention. But it happened probably... I'd say maybe six or seven months ago. Okay. And how long have you been together romantically? Um, Romantically, um, about almost a year and a half. Okay. So certainly for a year or so, you you didn't notice that he was using, or if he was, it wasn't anything that was impacting the relationship at yeah, all? Yeah, it wasn't impacting. I don't know that he was. Mm. He said he wasn't. Okay. And then, um, it kind of, I wasn't paying attention. I really noticed it probably, you know, the month that my, my daughter was born. So that was like, I don't know, three or four months ago. Okay. So this is quite recent that you've been having this issue with him, yes? Yeah, the whole spiraling thing, um, definitely. Okay. The recent thing. What is his drug of choice? Methamphetamine. Okay. Is he using anything else? Um, he drinks on occasion and the occasional marijuana use, but not, um, not to the extent that he uses meth. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a steady increase over the last three months? Of his drug use? 
Yes. No, it's actually decreased since um, it's decreased, and he has he's detoxed and relapsed five times since December. Okay, let's talk about that. So I guess what happened was you found out that he was using again. How did you approach that? Um, probably not the best way. Um, he disappeared a week before my daughter was born in the night. I woke up and I was having okay. contractions and he was gone. I couldn't find him. He wasn't answering his phone. He had taken off in my car mm-hmm. and um, he showed back up six o'clock in the morning you know, hours after I had been calling him. And so I just, you know, pretty much knew what was going on at that point. And, um, you know, probably, you know, screaming, yelling, that kind of a thing. I confronted him about it, and he didn't deny it. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, that he it was just a one-time thing and that, you know, he was just stressing out about all of the things that we had going on. Mm-hmm. Um and that he was going to stop. Okay. Now, this was when you were due to have the baby. Yeah, it was maybe six days before he was born. Oh, okay. Um, what physical changes did you see in him, if at all? You know, that's the thing. He, You'll notice a little bit more sleeplessness in him. Maybe he's slightly more giddy. But he doesn't. He wasn't using at that point to the point where you know he's he was spiraling. It didn't get to that point until probably right before Christmas. Okay. Now you were due to have the baby, and he was disappearing quite soon to you giving birth. So did, was this as a result of the drug use, or was there something else going on? No, that was a result of the drug use. He had okay. left in the night to go. He was about to come down and he was panicking that he wasn't going to be able to go to work the next day so he had to go find it and it took him a really long time to find it and that's what happened oh my goodness and how oh okay so how did that leave you what position did that leave you in um i was psychotically angry Mm -hmm. because i'm i was you know i was under the impression i was in active labor at that point and this man Mm -hmm. is nowhere to be found Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, you know, going in and it wasn't time to have the baby. And, you know, so it worked out okay in the end. But truthfully, you know, I was extremely angry that, you know, here I am. You know, he knew I was nine months pregnant and it could happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. And he took off and left me. He was gone for over three hours. Wow. So. Did you have a support system at all or did you go to the hospital by yourself? I went by myself. Oh, good Lord. Okay, so you're about to give birth, your partner is finding meth, he's scared about something, was he worried about you having another child, was was there something going on prior to all of this? You know, it had nothing to do with my child, it's usually about him, you know, Mm -hmm. he was sad because he hadn't been able to see his son because Mm -hmm. we were having the baby, and that was his excuse. There's always an excuse. Truthfully, he doesn't ask because he likes it. Okay. Does he ever have any triggers, Melissa, that you are aware of? If he gets majorly stressed out or whatever if it may stressed, be. If if something happens he doesn't like, if mm-hmm. um, I say something to him he doesn't like, if somebody hurts his feelings, mm-hmm. you know, there's it's just about everything could be a trigger. Okay. Basically, if he wants to use, he'll find a reason to. Okay. Does he hang out with a lot of friends? No. Okay. He self-isolates so, and he doesn't do drugs with other people either. So he does it by himself? Mm-hmm. Okay. Was he around for the birth of the baby six days later? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In what condition was he in then? He was in perfect condition because my father was there. Mm-hmm. So... um he held it together, and mostly he he was on the come down after I had her, and he just kind of, you know, masked it as being tired from you know being up all night. Okay. 
what does the come down look like on meth? The come down is awful. Well, I don't know if it's as bad as he makes it, mm. but um, basically he just won't move at all for several days, and he's sweating, and he's just very tired. He doesn't drink anything. He doesn't eat anything, so he's just kind of laying around and smelling bad for anywhere from 24, well, from anywhere from one to five days, depending on how long he's been doing it and how much he's been doing. Wow. And you have to sit back and watch this. Yeah. Um, it's been really tough because he went on the come down on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And he, my son is forced to, you know, deal with the fact that he's laying around like a dead person, doesn't talk, doesn't respond to people, is very short-tempered when he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up spending Christmas with my sister and not with him. Okay. How old is your son? Three. Is he aware of what's going on at all? No. No. Okay. He, he's aware that we're that I get angry at him from time to time, but he mostly thinks that Tristan is sick. Oh, okay. Why does he think that? Because he's laying around and not moving, and he tells us that he doesn't feel good. That's his. I see. Okay. Dad. Is that he says okay. he doesn't feel good, and that that's how he kind of deals with it for the children's sake, I suppose. Okay. Where is your partner at right now with the whole addiction? Well, we are at a place of, I don't know, feigned honesty. I've basically gotten to the point where I'm like, if you want to do the drugs, you go right ahead, and I have given him the money to do the drugs. It's out in the open now. Um, mm. I have purchased the drugs for him, and now he feels dirty and he feels ashamed, and he doesn't want to do the drugs anymore. And he is currently um, on the come down, but a functional come down. He has forced himself to go and continue working. Really? But, you actually buy the drugs for him? I have. Wow. I contacted his dealer. In fact, I've, I've dealt with his dealer on several <laughs> occasions because That's he gave, different. he gave Tristan drugs without Tristan paying him. And, um, basically I explained to him that that's a stupid thing to do. I was like, don't ever give, a a drug addict drugs without paying for them because chances are if they don't have money for the drugs, mm. there's a reason for that. Mm. Does he work? Does he work? Yes. Okay. Why would he not have had money for the drugs? Because I have all his money. I see. Okay. Are you managing it? Oh, okay. Okay. You know, we're going to go into a a short break, Melissa. I want you to stay on the line because I want to talk when we get back um, about how his addiction impacted the family. And I'd like you to tell me about some of the stories that you experienced that took you to that level where you began to spiral out of control. Okay, so let's take a short break. I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Once again, here's Jacqueline James Friedman. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. We are discussing the effects of drug addiction on Melissa's family unit and how it personally affected her. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Hi. Okay. So at what point did you realize is that your partner's addiction was now impacting the family? Um, probably Christmas was when I really got to the point where I realized that this had really come to a breaking point that mm-hmm. he was either going to have to give this up or we were going to, you know, fall apart. Basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what were the effects? 
talk to me about his behavior and um, how you would respond to some of the issues that you were having, maybe? He would flash back and forth. When he's on a come down, he's very angry and he makes excuses for his behavior and how, you know, he blames, you know, me, he blames the situation, he blames, you know, just about everything he can. And then he goes um, through an apologetic phase where it's all his fault and he feels like um, he wants his family back and we're the most important things to him. Mm. It just, um, the ups and downs are, are, you know, a little bit too much to stand at times. It's like having somebody that you care for very deeply telling you that you're the most important thing in their life and mm-hmm. that holding the family together is what's most important and then them throwing it away on drugs. It's frustrating and it's maddening. And I got to the point where it was literally making me mad. Right. Okay. What did that look like? Um, sometime between Christmas and the middle of January, I became more angry than I had ever been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, constantly, you know, angry and defensive. I was yelling. I wasn't interested in my children. I was so obsessed with, you know, making him, you know, clean and making us a priority that I had, you know, completely forgotten about everything else. I was isolated. I, you know, didn't talk to my friends. I didn't talk to my family. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, very grumpy, very depressed. Um, mm-hmm. I had difficulty finding reasons to want to be, you know, even here on this planet. I had feelings of worthlessness. I took his addiction very personally. I made it, mm-hmm. you know, I made it my fault. I made it my problem. Why did you think it was your problem? Why would you have ever thought that, that it was your problem? Well, he told me that, you know, he he felt he wasn't enough for me and that he had to live up to my expectations, and that's the reason why he was doing this. And then other times he would tell me it wasn't my fault, and then other times it was. It's because I needed him to do all of these things. And so the fact that he relapsed while he and I were together made me feel responsible because he had been clean before. Mm-hmm. So I, I took it very, very personally, which, you know, now I realize, you know, his addiction is his own problem. Mm-hmm. Not mine. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, you mentioned something really interesting, actually, that you began to focus on him and not on your children, who are your priorities. So where did that go wrong for you? Oh, I was checking his phone calls every day. I would um, go on the computer and uh, look up the beacon on his phone to find out where he was every minute of the day. When he left for work, I would track him and follow him. And when I saw him going places I didn't want him to go, I would call him and yell at him. And I had completely lost, you know, the the whole what I was trying to save. I'm trying to build a healthier, happier family for Mm. me and my children. And I Mm. am pounding this man, you know, trying to force him to, you know, put us as a priority like he says he's going to. And my children were really suffering because, you know, I would spend all day, you know, on the computer, you know, following him around, you know, checking what he's doing, who he's talking to. And Mm. I wasn't, I wasn't being the mother that I had set out to be. I wasn't being, you know, the parent that I wanted to be. So you lost yourself completely. Completely. Yeah. It it got so bad, and I was so angry at him for, you know, the more I thought about what a bad parent I was, the more angry at him I became. Mm. And there were days that I would just sit up and just think about how much I hated him. And what he was doing. And every time he relapsed, I hated him more. And I was creating a very volatile, very angry um, environment for all of us. 
And you I'm just had the baby it. also, right? You just had the baby? Yeah, she's only four months old now. So. Oh, wow. What will... Uh-huh. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. All I could think about was how, you know, he was what we needed in order to be a family. Like, I needed him to, you know, pull everything together. I needed him to do all of the things that he said in order to be a father to the children, you know, the way, you know, it was supposed to be. And that's, you know, what I had obsessed on. So it sounds that you, like you were very, very disappointed because you actually knew this person for a very long time. You knew him for a decade from what you were saying earlier. Um, And it sounded like he was a nice person. Um, You decided to become romantically involved after knowing him for many, many years. So was there disappointment there for you? Or, Or if it wasn't, what was it? It was a huge disappointment for me. Um, I had seen his other relationships destroyed um, by not just, you know, his drug usage, but, you know, the, the people that that didn't care for him, they weren't paying attention, you know, to, to his needs at all. He tends to be in relationships with people who have serious amounts of problems that he needs to fix them all the time. So there's a lot of pressure on him. And so I figured being in a relationship with me where I don't require a whole lot of him and, you know, mm-hmm. I was very, you know, aware of what he was, what he needed and I tried to take care of his needs as best I could. You know, it, it was an arrogance on my part thinking that, you know, I was enough to keep him clean and that, you know, all he needed was, you know, a good woman in order to, you know, save him from himself. And, um, I think that's one of the reasons why I made this, you know, my fault. And Mm. sure, maybe the people he was with before it was a trigger for him or possibly the original reason, but it doesn't matter. It's like that's not what he is now. And so Mm. I have to kind of take that off of myself. So in some respects, you knew what he was doing in terms of using, um, were you the one now that was trying to fix him? Was that the role that you were were in? Um, he was already fixed by the time we had started our relationship. He had already, you know, taken the steps of recovery. He was, you know, he had his, his sponsor. He had been to rehab. He had been out. Okay. He was clean. So I didn't take that role on. Mostly okay. he, he wanted... He wanted to rebuild a family, but he didn't want to be with the person he was with previously. Okay. And um, I guess I filled that role for him. So he did it the right way. He went to where? Where did he go to to recover? Newbridge. Okay. And that's in California? Yes. Was it inpatient or outpatient? In. Inpatient. Oh, okay. How long was he in for? He did their stage one, which is three months, and then he was about halfway through his stage two, which is another three months, so maybe almost five months he was there. Oh, okay. And he had sponsors, and he was doing fine. Yeah, his his recovery probably didn't go the best for him, you know, honestly, because he is a higher-functioning addict, and so the methods that they use there are, you know, not equipped for people like him. So I don't think that he got the amount of, well, the kind of help that he needed. Okay. Can you explain that a little bit more? Higher functioning than the others? What? Why would you say that? Well, a lot of the uh, addicts that attend inpatient Treatment usually are people who haven't been able to hold jobs. Their um, their usage has brought them to a critical point. They usually hit rock bottom. They live on the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, usually they're taken there by court order or you know forced in by their families because they have no other choice. Some kind of huge intervention usually pushes people into this. Um, mm-hmm. He went voluntarily, so okay. 
you know, there was no court order holding him there. This was something that he wanted to do. And he went there, and because, you know, he had a job the entire time he was using, he, you know, brushed his teeth and, you know, paid his bills all that time, you know, the Newbridge Foundation, you know, they teach you, like, kind of a military-style thing. You know, you wake up, you do your hygiene, you, you know, do your day. Well, he had already those skills, so they started Mm -hmm. using him to you know, further their cause because he didn't need as much help, in their opinion, as others. So he started, you know, working on the phones to get donations for the place and, you know, um, networking for mm. for the, you know, the for the house instead of, you know, really focusing on his recovery. And that seems to be a pos- like a popular theme in his life is that, you know, People end up exploiting him for what he can do for them and not think about, you know, the long-term consequences for him. Interesting. So do you think that he was put into that position for the donations rather than focusing on his recovery, or do you think he found an escape route out himself? Um, they asked him um, oh. to leave their telemarketing. Um, That's really interesting. So he really didn't get the full benefit that he needed. He did not. No. And okay. that's one of the reasons why he ended up leaving before he finished stage two. Okay. Let's come back to that, Melissa. I have to take a short break. Um, I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. the path to a better future on talk zone here's jacqueline james friedman welcome back to the path to a better future with jacqueline james friedman on talkzone.com we are discussing the effects of drug addiction on melissa's family unit and how it personally affected her melissa yes how how long after getting out of the house that he was in or the, the recovery house that he was in, did he relapse? Um, well, it took about over a year. Oh, okay. Over a year. Okay. So he, he had quite a long stint. What was it when you were pregnant that it threw him over the edge when you were going into birth? Was that when he actually relapsed? No, he relapsed months before that. Okay. Okay. Now, I presume that there were a whole lot of physical and emotional changes because you mentioned some of them earlier with what you were doing. I want you to talk about how you went from a level-headed woman to someone that was really out of control. I... I've always been, you know, very mellow and even toned as far as, you know, the things that are concerned in my life. I'm not a very um, emotional person. I don't I don't tend to deal, you know, strictly on the sensitive side of things. But being with him and knowing him as long as I did and getting involved in this the way that I did, it really... It made me angry mostly at myself, and because I was so angry with myself for allowing this to happen, mm. you know, I was angry at him for, you know, drawing me in, knowing that this is what he wanted to do with himself, mm. and, you know, allowing my children to be exposed to this, allowing, you know, all of us to suffer, you know, for his, you know, selfishness, and I mm-hmm. just completely you know, internalized all of this, my feeling of self-worth went down, I, you know, just became completely blinded with rage, and every single day, you know, I, from the moment I woke up till the time I went to sleep, you know, was mm-hmm. just angry all the time, I, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't, I couldn't function normally any mm-hmm. longer, I just, just was angry, 
when you were tracking him down, did you find him in areas that he shouldn't have been in? Yes. Like what, for example? I found him at his dealer's house. Um, one night after, um, it was probably the first week of January or so, after he had detoxed, I found him at his ex-girlfriend's house. Mm-hmm. Looking, well, her ex, his ex-girlfriend's cousin's house looking for her. And I dragged him out of the house at 1130 at night, you know, with a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself doing things like that. And I brought the friend of ours because I was ready to fight if I had to. <laughs> to fight the ex-girlfriend? To fight whoever was there. I didn't care. I was going to fight him, too. I, I okay. had gotten to the point where I didn't care anymore about, you know, decency or, you know, dignity. None of those things mattered anymore. My my sole focus was, you know, getting this man to behave, forcing him to, you know, you know, conform. That I, I had become like some kind of, you know, crazed drill sergeant. And um, hmm. all with his blessing. That's the crazy thing about this is he had told me, you know, you can look at, you know, where I am and you can do all of these things. I think, you know, under the false sense of security, like if he told me that I could, then I would just automatically think he wasn't doing anything and then, you know, let it go. But it, it didn't work out that way. And I started, you know following him around and questioning every phone call and every text message. And it was just hugely time-consuming and exhausting. You know, I have a newborn and a toddler, and I have, you know, a man to stalk. And it just became, you know, way too much for me. Who was taking care of the children while you were stalking him? Oh, usually I'd stalk him from my house. Okay. I would be, you know, on the computer at my house watching where he was on, uh, on like a satellite. I could track his phone. So I knew where he was all the time. Are you serious? What? Really? Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so describe that a little bit in detail to me. I I don't know what you're talking about. Well, if you own an iPhone, they make it very easy for people to stalk you. All they need is your iCloud password, and they can log on to find my iPhone, and you have a real-time GPS of where the person you're looking for is. Oh, my goodness. So So you stalked him from from morning till night? Yeah. And if he drifted off... Uh I even set up a web box that would send me signals on the Internet when his... When his, you know, beacon moved into uh-huh. certain places, it would, you know, send me a message to let me know that he was, you know, somewhere he shouldn't be. Like, I went through elaborate lengths to follow this man around because I still had to take care of my children. So I found, you know, easier, more efficient ways to stalk him. <laughs> Did he, was he aware that you were doing this? Yes. He was, okay. Yes. But he would still veer off course. Well, the other thing is he didn't think that I was still doing it. Like, if he stayed in one, where he was supposed to be long enough, he Mm. figured that I would just get bored and not find him. He didn't know that I had, you know, created a bot to to keep track of him. And that's when things started getting volatile between the two of us is because, you know, I would call him out on being where he shouldn't be, and then he would try to lie to me, and, you know, of course, satellites don't lie. And then I'll show up where he is, and then, you know, it just, it would get more crazy from there. Wow. Was there any infidelity at all in that time that you you were aware of? There has been no physical infidelity. Mm -hmm. But when he is using meth, he likes to um, start pseudo-relationships with nuts. Not relationships, but he likes to solicit himself sexually when he is high. And so, meaning, meaning he'll send text messages to women and pictures, things of that nature. But then, when 
the women try to meet up with him or call him, you know, he won't answer. He doesn't show that kind of a thing. It's more mm-hmm. like a, you know, a conquest or, you know, something to alleviate his boredom while he's awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. And is that when he's high? Well, he's high all the time. Oh, Okay. How did you find out he was sending these pictures out to other women? I checked his phone. Okay. Okay. And he must have been aware that you were doing all of this, or did he not think that you were? Yes, he was. He's been aware of me doing it the entire mm. time. Because he's given me the password for his thing. He's given me the password for his phone. And, you know, that that's the thing. It's like he thinks it's, it's like a false you know, cushion of trust. If he gives me these things, and that means that I won't look. But mm. I had gone, and normally that would have worked. But I had completely, I've gone completely crazy, and I let him know that. You know that mm. I am completely someone else now, and I've gone to a a dark and ugly place where I don't care. You know what happens, or you know what it costs. Like I'm going to, you know, get what I want in this sense, and that basically what ended up happening to me. Mm. Let's talk about that, but I just want to ha- have a quick question that I've just thought about. Um, he must have thought that you were completely nutty. Why did no. he put up with it? No, he didn't think I was completely nutty. He thought that he has driven me completely nutty. Oh. And that's the part that's killing him is because, you know, somewhere in that, you know, drug field maniac that he is and becomes, mm. there is a part of him that loves me and cares for me and mm-hmm. he's the damage that he's done because he's known me as long as he has. Right. So watching me go from, you know, who I was to who I became was, it's difficult for him to see as well. Mm. And at any moments of sobriety or clarity, he it really hurts him to know that, you know, he's pushed me this far. Sure. What was the darkest moment that you'd got to in all of this? I woke up in the middle of the night. This was probably about a month and a half ago. And he was on the come down snoring, you know, in the room next to me. And I had my son who was, you know, sick with a a kidney disease. And I had my daughter who had a serious upper respiratory thing and I was trying to take care of them both and he's sitting there snoring and not helping me because he's on another come down mm. and I was so angry at him that I wanted to kill him and I was sitting alone in the middle of the night you know trying to get my daughter to go back to sleep and she finally did and all I could think of was how much I wanted this man dead because I would never you know, be happy. We would never be safe until he was. And I ended up calling a crisis line and explaining Mm -hmm. to this woman Mm -hmm. that, you know, I wanted to kill this man. And Mm -hmm. having her tell me, you know, you know, as long as you don't have a plan, you know, we can't, you know, call the police on you, but you really need to get a handle on this. She's like, you really need to take yourself out of this situation or take steps in order to make it better. Mm. And that was a very rude awakening for me. It's like when you get to the point where, you know, the only thing keeping you from murdering somebody is the fact that you might wake up your kids and have to put them back to sleep. You know, you are not you are not in a healthy place any longer. And that was the turning point for me. Were those truly your darkest thoughts, Melissa? I mean, did you really, really think that you wanted to kill him? Oh, I really did. Okay, so you're not just saying that. You truly, truly no, got truly to that place. Did. I would not have called that woman. I called her to stop me. Mm-hmm. Because had I been sitting there by myself, I just may have. Gosh, this is like listening to the ID Discovery me. show. Yeah, I would have been, you know, on Snap, and you guys would be watching that. Mm. Well, thank God that you're not, okay? Um Please stay on the line because I want to discuss, Melissa, how you went about making those changes 
to walk the path to a better future. Okay, so we're going to go straight to a short break. I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Let's return to Jacqueline James Friedman for more of The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. We are discussing the effects of drug addiction on Melissa's family unit and how it personally affected her. Before the break, Melissa described how she went from a level-headed woman to a woman out of control and shared her darkest, deepest secrets and concerns with living with someone who has an addiction problem. So, Melissa... With all that in mind, once you'd got to that place called the crisis line, what changed after that for you? I realized that by having to reach out to somebody and ask for help, that not only was it okay, she validated the fact that I'm not the only one that is struggling with this and that... You know, the fact that I asked for help, you know, true, you know, proved how, you know, dedicated to my family and how, you know, strong of will I was because I was feeling Mm. very weak and I was feeling, you know, very worthless at the time. And she just Mm. reminded me that there, you know, there are options, you know, you don't have to, you know, live like that. You know, being so angry all the time that, you know, your body aches and, you know, your face hurts and you hate waking up every day. Yes. So I took steps from there to, you know, reclaim my life and reclaim, you know, who I was because, you know, living like that was, you know, not helping any of us. Did you ever go to counseling or therapy? Yeah, we tried going to therapy and it wasn't necessarily working because you wasn't dealing with his addiction issue. And so Mm -hmm. after I decided to reclaim my life, I went back into um, being a therapist just for myself, not, you know, for us as a couple any longer. Okay. Talk to me about where the focus is and what you're doing now to make those changes. My focus is solely on doing things that make me happy and furthering my agenda. I want my children to be happy and healthy. I want to, you know, enjoy being a mother again. And so I've spent most of my time, you know, centered around that. I do, mm-hmm. um, I take my kids to the park. I have reconnected with my friends. I mm-hmm. spend most of my time thinking about me. So I don't worry about where he is or what he's doing. That's his problem now. And okay. I try to, you know, surround myself with positive people who, you know, want to spend time with me, you know, want to, you know, enrich my children's lives. That, that is just, um, you know, just the main focus of my life at this point. Okay. How is the therapy working for you? You know, pretty well. Yeah. Just, just having, you know, being able to, say a lot of the things that I'm feeling privately, you know, in a safe setting where I don't have to worry about, you know, somebody repeating it or, you know, the other consequences that can go with telling a friend or a family member that kind of a thing um, mm. makes a therapist a, a much better, you know, choice as far as when you, you know, need to kind of look at your life. It's easier having somebody who knows what they're talking about look at it with you. Yes. What's he doing in the meantime while you're focusing on yourself? You know, I don't really know. He's working. And he's, you know, working on his addiction. But, you know, to be honest, I just... It's not my job. (laughs) It's not my problem. And you're right. It's not your problems. Yeah. No, it's not anymore. And that's 
you know, that's why I feel really good about it. And, you know, he has let me know what little, you know, progress that he's making here and there and what his plans for the future are. Mm. And that's fine. But um, mostly I'm concerned about me and what I'm doing. And, you know, if he wants to come along with us, that's fine. But if he drops off, that's okay, too. Has he gone back to meetings at all or has a sponsor what's what's he done to to help um, himself he has started the smart recovery system okay and they are um an online as well as um public meeting they're not like uh not like aa or na they function differently as a more scientific approach instead of a religion based Okay, can you go into that a little bit more uh, for the listeners? Well, um, they have meetings um, online, and I have attended a few of those, and you just have, you know, your mediators and your drug counselors in there, and they, you know, talk about the issues that, you know, make them want to relapse. They share ideas. There's a 24-hour support group for you. There's always somebody there. So you can talk to someone, you know, in the case that you're going to relapse or you're feeling, you know, um, the mm-hmm. urge or whatever it is. So it's got a really nice support system. They, you know, depending on what city you live in, they have, you know, meetings that you can go to once or twice a week. And okay. uh, there's a really, you know, good one here. And so he's been attending the live meetings as well as doing some online work. Okay, because I was going to ask how effective the online uh, meeting is. Do they actually see somebody live that they talk to, or is it all typing? Um, they have typing ones, but they also have um, voice meetings as well. Okay. You are talking to people. It depends what kind of meeting you want to go to. Okay. And they have different. Um, they have different. I guess, categories of meetings. They have friends and family meetings, which, you know, are for the, you know, the other people, not the addicts themselves, but it's a support group for people who are living with addicts, and that's very helpful Mm. for somebody who, you know, needs that extra bit of support. Um, Going to the addicts meeting is very eye-opening, and it gives you a certain anonymity, you know, that going to a live meeting wouldn't, uh, you get a lot in my opinion, you get a lot more um, real testimony there. You know, people are a lot, they're a lot more willing to share a, a deeper side of themselves because of the fact that you're on the Internet and they can't see you. Mm, okay. Some, some really intense feelings there, and I've gotten, you know, really good feedback from that. That's good to know. And that's smart recovery, you said. Okay. Um, is he clean? No. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. So, is this program working for him then? It is, because what he needs to see, our problem is this. He is on this drug, and he needs to come down completely off of it. But in order to do that, he has to be down for three or four days, which he can't afford to because he can't just not go to work for three or four days. Mm. So last I heard, his plan was to wean himself off of it slowly and then finish his come down on his days off. And so that has been the plan thus far. And so, you know, we'll see. Okay. But, um, Are you... Mm-hmm. He, he seems to be... Um, interested in doing this mostly because I don't, I'm not showing any interest on whether he does it or not. Okay. So he feels what? That you are distancing yourself, that you may well be moving on in the future? Has there been some kind of discussion around that? Yeah, I've let him know that, you know, if he continues to use that, you know, we're pretty much done. You know, we have a certain financial obligations to, you know, take care of. And mm-hmm. basically, as soon as those are up, you know, I will be moving on if he can't um, get a hold on this. Okay. Did, have you given him a timeline? Yes. 
Okay. Um, Do you think he's um, taken you seriously? I think he is because at this point he he feels pressure from competition at this point, and he feels pressure by the fact that you know at least you know he said at least when he, I was crazy you know he knew that I cared and that I wasn't going anywhere and that I was fighting for our family. Now he's not so sure. Mm. What 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 competition? What does he mean by that? Um, he's just seeing me like I was so obsessed with him that there was nothing else. I didn't have time for anything or anyone else. And now that I'm spending my time, you know, doing what I want to do, he feels that he is more apt to lose me. Gotcha. Okay. So my final question, Melissa, is what advice would you give to others going through this situation? Let go. Make yourself the priority. You cannot make someone be clean and truthfully it doesn't matter if they get clean as long as you're happy you have to you know because being crazy and you know being angry is killing you both mm-hmm. their addiction is killing them already you know you can't allow it to kill you too mm. well said melissa you know, I really, really thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing this story with us. Um, I know that there are so many people out there that are in this situation, and I thank you. And I'm very honored that you were able to send out this very important message. So thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to each other again soon in the future. Okay, Melissa? All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Thank you for listening to The Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com.